You're listening to the Propane Fitness Podcast, your ultimate resource for fat loss and muscle gain with none of the gimmicks. With your hosts, Yusuf and Johnny. Simple rules, dramatic results. So James, can you tell us a bit about, um, so this was the kind of the external transformation where mm. you, you rebuild yourself, you've managed to move better. Yeah. It's allowed you, it's your soft tissue quality has improved mm. and you've been more injury free. And you've directed your training more towards what you want to do, and that's yeah. and and that's that's really a huge gift in itself. Um, I love the point, Chris, about like you are one of the people that has a luxury to enjoy going to a gym or doing some physical activity. So you need to you need to capitalize on that, which is awesome. Um, you've also had as much, if not more, of an internal transformation. Probably much more. Actually. Probably much more. Um, are you comfortable talking about all of yeah, the things? I'm, that I'm happy to talk about any of this stuff. Um, cool. Which, whichever direction you want to poke it in. So, <clears throat> in that case, yeah, James has um, has been to a lot of ceremonies with with various plants as well as working with working with the body, mm. and has transformed. Um, in fact, I'm I'm not even going to try and butcher this. I was always fascinated, like I was fascinated with like esoteric things and just asking the question for, for, the, for the me and some of the listeners who are a little bit uh, ignorant can you define your um, your, your definition of esoteric yeah. so esoteric would be a metaphysical way of looking at the world so like different kind of spiritual practices or beliefs uh, religious mythology um, philosophy other kinds of Stuff like shamanic practices, traditional healing methods, stuff like yeah, Chinese medicine or homeopathy or these kinds of things. If you want to look at the the physical side of it, but also then yeah, spiritual stuff. So diving into the like the the depth of subjective experience beyond mm. what we in daily life perceive to be the mind and the body. Yeah. yeah. So cool. as in yeah, you have an experience as an individual. And like, how does that perhaps inter- interrelate to experiences of other individuals and the world in general? How do you perceive yourself? Who are you? Where you know? What do you What do you want? Where Where, where are you going with your life? Where did I come from? These kind of questions. So these kind of questions were interesting to me because I wasn't quite satisfied with the answers I was given or the things I was told or the things I read. Some of it led me into practices like meditation. Uh, which I've been do- in, doing in various forms, in various ways for many years. And the, then it led me into psychedelics, um, which is something which for some reason has always fascinated me for a long time. Like, And I had a bit of a, I would say, like fear and respect because I didn't really know enough about them and there wasn't like really good information to be found out. And then one day I decided to take acid with, with a friend of mine and... I had a pretty gentle kind of experience with it at first, and I was just sort of like in my garden, and I could in, I could see colors coming off the 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 flame of the the candle I was sitting on the table to the music, and you know all these kind of typical psychedelic experiencings that people might talk to you about. But what struck me as quite profound in the coming down and the days and, and weeks following that was how the way I was actually thinking changed. Like, it, it, like not, not sort of the things I thought about, but the actual, th- the way I thought about them. You were saying it, you felt like it restructured your brain or almost it rewired it. Yeah, a good, the, yeah. The, again, the image that you used, I think, was that the spectrum of experience widened. Yeah. Yeah, that's a good, yeah, that's probably a good way of, of, of describing it. And so it was like, it's not like I couldn't think about things the way I had thought about them before, but new op- new avenues and options were open to me. That fascinated me. And then very shortly after, yeah, I got more into some psychedelics, but very quickly I was, uh, I went with my best friend to an ayahuasca retreat, mm-hmm. um, which is, for those who don't know, is a, is a ancient, a traditional, ceremonial, ritualistic practice of consuming uh, a psychedelic brew with a shaman present. Um, where, where was your first one? <clears throat> my first one was in England. Oh, with, well, okay. It was, it was in uh, a place in England, a very nice place, and for legal reasons, I'm not going to say where it is, except that it was, it was with um, a shaman from the Amazon. Wow. 
yeah, he was the one of the master shamans from a tribe deep in the Amazon, with hundred people in their village, the Kashinawa tribe, who are very famous in the Amazon for their ayahuasca, apparently. Um, Am I right in thinking that it originates <clears throat> in South America, is that right? Yes, okay. yeah, exactly. So ayahuasca originates in South America. There are various different brews that are similar, mm-hmm. that, contain, that have, they're made from plants that contain the same compounds that are found all over the world. Mm-hmm. And it's, like, it's, it's, it's a potentially an indication that the, the Egyptians' tree of life was a D, uh, also a dimethyltryptoline uh, DMT-containing brew. There's speculation that Soma, that is talked about in the Vedic texts, is also that. However, it could also be many other things, like it could be a cannabis tea or an even opiate, we don't really know. But the fact is that there are many plants containing DMT, which is a very potent psychedelic, that's also produced in the pineal gland of humans and other mammals. And what's the purpose of taking it? What are people trying to achieve right. with an ayahuasca ceremony? Well, that depends on the context. Like, if you look at it in the traditional context in the Amazon, most people are using it to um, find find answers to things, I would say, is probably the best description of it. So it's like, I've had I've, I've actually had a conversation with people like where they, they've spent a lot of time in the jungle, and it's like, yeah, you might get a chef drink it to find inspiration to, for new recipes. Mm-hmm. But it's also, there's also it's like a community and bonding aspect with it. So you, it is in a group setting, so you do it in a group. The, the majority of the use in, now it's been taken out of the Amazon into different contexts, is in, in a sense effectively a therapeutic thing. So it's like people, like myself, for example, were go, going to it looking for answers because they were depressed or they were they suffered from anxiety or they have these things or they're like, you know, whatever, maybe they're an addict in some particular cases. Like some psychedelic rituals uh, and treatments have proven very effective for treatments of different forms of addiction. Or maybe they're just curious and want to experience something beyond their daily, their day-to-day experience. So if you were to try and explain the effects Mm -hmm. of drinking the brew, can you take us through half an hour by half an hour or hour by hour what happens it's i mean yes and no because the effects while all psychedelics have very very common effects that are very common and like if you take enough of different psychedelics or talk to enough people who've taken different kinds of psychedelics you'll see that there are common threads but even between the psychedelics and between individuals there's so much variance in their actual experience and to me, as well, focusing on the ceremony or the ritual and the experience itself without putting anything else into context is also missing the point. Because, like, what happens during a ritual and during, or, or during your journey or trip or however you want to frame it is often very hard to comprehend or articulate. Like, it's, it's, it's uh, depending on how far you go out, it's very difficult to immediately take something back. Have so you, it's have a bit seen... like... Like, just to finish off with this, so it's a bit like you're kind of going through, you go into a process, you go through this process, and then you come out and you might feel different, but you won't necessarily put a context into it. And so the work you do afterwards in order to integrate whatever you've experienced is perhaps even more important than what goes on during the ceremony itself. Having said that, I can describe a few things which are like... In the same way that a spark, a spark starts a fire. Yes, but that's not what burns. <clears throat> Have you ever seen one of the ceremonies without drinking the yes. brew? Okay. Well, well, yeah. I mean, I've been in. I've been with people on psychedelics. That was my. With, that was my point. Without, could you without. could you explain what happens during the ceremonies? Because to yeah, me, of course, to like, me, to me, ceremony. Uh, you yeah, know, of course. I, I think christening. Yeah. Okay. Sure. <laughs> but but this is okay. But this is actually an important point, and, and well, in sort of certainly the way I view ceremony or ritual, because ritual ceremony, however you want to frame this, is is something that's been part of human existence for as long as we've lived, and an important part. Like um, different cultures have placed enormous value on particular rituals or ceremonies, and a lot of them follow a very similar format. So in the medicine circle. Um, or in whatever circle I might, for example, work with people uh, on, is a circle is the first part. The circle is important because there is no, then no hierarchy. So everyone has a voice. So there's usually, you sit in a circle, the shaman sits in one particular place. Now the shaman, in terms of their role, their role is primarily, usually they're the person who concocted the brew, mm-hmm. 
although often out, also not, um, but they're the person who serves it. And they're kind of there to make sure people are okay. Like facilitating, facilitating, holding space, these words, whatever you want to use, which is just, there's someone there who's been through a lot of this stuff, has seen it go on before. So when someone loses their shit, they can just basically go like, look, it's okay. We can calm you down. We can take care of you. Because you might end up in states where you are unable to perhaps judge for yourself whether the thing you're doing might cause you physical harm Mm -hmm. or not, Mm -hmm. you know. Um, or you might just need someone to hold your hand or you might need to, you know, cry for an hour and, you know, just have someone be there. It doesn't matter. Like, you can go through different processes, but then, so you sit in a circle, there's a shaman there, you pass something around, usually a stick, and you say your intention. So now this is another point when it comes to ritual and ceremony, especially in medicine practices, going in with an intention. I want to find out something or I want to do something, you know, so it's like, whatever, like, I want to, like, I, uh, one of my things is my intention is, um, I want to hold space for myself and perhaps work on something specific. Like maybe, um, I want to work on, I want to see like, what is my, you know, what's behind my relationship between, um, these particular people who keep coming up in my life or what's this pattern I'm seeing. And then in addition to that, for me, what's kind of important is like, you've got to go go in with a sense of acceptance and letting go in terms of you'll get something from it and you're not necessarily going to know what that is and it might not be what you asked for. So there's that. So you go, you go through with your intention setting and then you drink or eat whatever it is you're taking. And everyone does this at the same time. Not at the same time. You usually go one by one. So like you'd go. And then the next person would go. But my point is that when it, when it kicks in you will all or most of you will more be, or less yeah will be under my yeah, point wasn't yes. that one person goes no and no, then no, you no, wait because no, no. you'd be there for like months wouldn't you? no exactly you'd be there for you know it'll take between 20 and 120 minutes before you feel any effects mm-hmm, mm-hmm. um very often you'll fast or at least you'll have, have an empty stomach when you go in because like it basically speeds up the digestive process it's purging right it's called is no it, that, it's, no it's, purging is 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 basically puking or shitting i thought is it not used as a cleansing yeah ritual? sure but, yeah sure it, it can be and that is part of it right um is the dosage or the the the, the sort of uh, strain of the of the brew absolute geared no, towards no. no okay absolutely not at all it's that is a completely individual effect okay like, do you find did, did did you find that you had any nausea with it and stuff? The, I've read some stuff um, online about nausea. And... The first, yeah, a common thing with basically most psychedelics is you might experience nausea mm-hmm. when you're coming up. Mm-hmm. Um, again, because most of them act on the serotonin system, your you have the highest density of serotonin receptors in your gut, and then it's going through your gut in order to be digested and taken into the bloodstream. Some of that can create nausea, also. Like the first few ceremonies I went to, I didn't purge, I didn't puke. Mm-hmm. I think I, I came out the other end maybe once or twice, but it was only like the third or fourth ceremony that I that I puked, and then and there it's completely different. It's not like it's not like some. It doesn't feel like oh I've been poisoned and I need to puke something out, and it doesn't feel it not like when you're fucked up drunk, yeah. and then you're like oh geez oh, <laughs> we need to get rid of this stuff, and it's also not like being sick. It's more actually no, it's more close to feeling like you know like food poisoning or you have something in your stomach Mm -hmm. that you need to get rid of but it's not just physical you have usually some kind of like psycho-emotional attachment to that as well and so it's like oh i want to get rid of this and it feels really good to get rid of it Mm -hmm. so it's kind of like an energetic purge as well if you want to look at it conceptually and it really does feel like that it's like oh i feel much lighter and different after getting rid of this thing that can be something that happens or like in my very first uh, ceremonies I cried a lot and, and not just sort of a little sob like bawling my fucking eyes out like to the point where I was probably dehydrated because <laughs> I was cry- I was crying for four hours straight at one point wow just like completely everything letting go now you know okay I grew up in England but my family I would say they're not particularly emotionally repressed but I was apparently somehow it, to, to a very strong degree that I was it's and it, the, the weird thing was it's like it's not like I had any conceptual attachment to this emotion. It was just raw emotion coming out, mm-hmm. just like just being let out. And 
also laughter, but anger as well. Like all of these like raw emotions coming out in different ways. Um, or like regression down to like a, a state in which I couldn't speak or talk, uh, speak or move. Like I was just sort of lying, witnessing things. Mm -hmm. And then like having to sort of relearn how to or refigure out how to use my body. Like just like, what what is this thing? I don't know what it is. Like, okay, hand, right, okay, you know, like, I know it's, like, but at the same time, I know it's my hand. It's really weird, because you often have these paradoxical states, which I think actually relates to a lot of um, reality as paradoxical, in general. Like, there are a lot of things, uh, it's kind of like, you know, you want to look at, like, basic ideas of consciousness, in that you can say that we are all one, and we're all connected on a certain level, but I'm also an individual. It's paradoxical. So you go through this process, right? <laughs> Everyone drinks or eats, and then it starts to come up. Uh, you start to come up. Um, often the shaman might sing songs, traditional or not, doesn't matter. There, there might be music, there might not be. You might be in darkness, you might be outside, you could be in a teepee. With ayahuasca, most of the time, you'd in the jungle, you'd be outside undercover, but here you'd probably be inside somewhere, partly based on the weather. Some ceremonies, it's more important for them to be outside like with the cactus, for example, with San Pedro, but basically always outside because you wander around in the nature and that's part of the actual process itself. And then everyone drinks and you drink more and you go through this process and everyone has their experience and their journey. Most of the time you keep your, you kind of keep to yourself and you don't interact with other people so much mm. because it's about your experience, right? It's not really, it's not, you know, for me, in the ceremony, it's not about your experience. Mm -hmm. um, it's about mine. I guess there's probably quite a lot of stimulus as well going on. Yeah, there there's is. Enough, there's enough happening within you yeah. to not need to be bothered about other people. Yeah, exactly. Or, or maybe too much to yeah, even be yeah. able to... You might not, yeah, you might not have any idea. You know, it's like, it's a bit like, uh, you know, it's a bit like, you know, people who have anxiety think they're, you know, think everyone's watching them in the room, but re realistically everyone's so caught up in their own bullshit that they wouldn't even notice them. So there's a lot of that going on. And then after a while, you close the ceremony. So there is an opening and there's a closing. Mm -hmm. And then often you'd sleep or, or rest a bit. And then what is quite important is then the next day or after you've rested, you have uh, or eaten together, you have a sharing circle. So you sit again in a circle and you go around and you relate something about your experience to the rest of the group. To the, to the circle. And that is quite, to me, an important part of the ritual because, as I said, sometimes these, a lot of the time these experiences are not necessarily coherent or understandable. Um, so maybe, and oftentimes you'll see in the circles, someone relating something from their experience which speaks to you directly. Mm -hmm. It's like they are articulating something that fundamentally is very close to your own experience mm -hmm. so that you can maybe understand your own experience better. Mm -hmm. I guess that the process of having to verbalize your experience mm -hmm. requires you to not be vague about what's happened. Yeah, exactly. As use of cause of crystallizing your thoughts. Yeah, exactly. And through that process, and this is why, again, I say the work done after the, the ritual is, is just as important. And what I've seen for myself is those people who have had some kind of introspective practice, which requires them to then look at themselves and figure things out and articulate them. Or physically, I, I like to work on the physical level as well, because I see it as a, like, I see also the body in that sense as like a processor, yeah. you know, like you are processing things in your body um, and, and in moving it and doing things with it, that will encourage those processes to move along. So, those things will perhaps help you crystallize and figure out and articulate what the fuck happened and maybe like for example what it is i need to do with that it's you know like i received a message like a very clear message at one point like i was sitting in the ceremony and i was like it's like okay right stop smoking cigarettes um stop drinking uh stop smoking weed for at least six months stop taking other drugs in the ways that in the way that you're doing them is basically just like and and stop sleeping around so much and it was like what, 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 and i'm going through this and it was a bit like i was able to be taken outside of myself 
and have all the things I was doing to myself and seeing like the little harms I was doing to myself, which on their own I could kind of justify. But if I look at the bigger picture, I realize that I was really just harming myself in different ways and that the, the, the cumulative effect of that was quite detrimental to me. And so I followed this kind of, basically I had this impulse to do it and I was, like, it was like a crystal message to do this stuff and I, so I did it for a while. I still don't smoke cigarettes. I smoke weed again and I, I drink and I do take other drugs, but it was like I reestablished a relationship with them. So like, for example, I don't get fucked up drunk anymore. I just don't do it. It's not nice. I hate it. Like, I don't like hang... I, I'd already at that point tried to stop drinking as much, but I apparently still had a high alcohol tolerance. And having a high alcohol tolerance I don't think is a good thing. Because, like, it's expensive, and, like, I could go out and get, like, drink shitloads, not really be particularly drunk, so I'm not really getting... Or, or even that kind of good stage of drunk. I wasn't even maybe getting there or I was getting way past it, I wasn't enjoying it as much, and then I would have a hangover the next day. The point is that having a, a high tolerance of alcohol doesn't relate to your body's ability to process everything else that isn't the sensation of being drunk. Yeah, for sure. Like, being drunk is only a part of the process of taking of putting alcohol in your body. Yeah. It's a side effect, really. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Um, of and, poisoning yourself. Yeah. And you think, right, okay, well, that's that, but if you do have a, a high tolerance to alcohol, you essentially derive less less pressure from more damage yeah yeah exactly is, and it's it's a horrible set. and you're not a cheap day which is no and, and then I, so I stopped drinking for nearly two years completely and then I, I reintroduced alcohol because at the end of the day I actually I like having a beer or a glass of wine or a cocktail or whatever I tried to explain this to you Sophia the other day and it's 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 not and you know and, and I can totally understand if you don't like it or whatever, but <laughs> like you literally just don't like the taste of most alcohol. Yeah, the the taste or the effect or it's it's funny because this has been a, a recurring theme the last few weeks of of podcasts. Maybe the universe is trying to tell us something, but what what you said there about being able to detach from your vices and then. Reintroduce be able them. to yeah reintroduce them voluntarily mm. and not have that same dysfunctional relationship with them yeah and I was going to ask you about that about what are the things that you've gained from the ceremonies in your daily life and I suppose you've, you've one. kind of answered that yeah um, is there anything that somebody can do let's say someone's not ready to go to a ceremony what mm. what can they do to um, to start dabbling in the esoteric world um, would this be to start with the body? Was there any, are there any kind of practices that you recommend they start with? Yes. Um, some kind of meditation or mindfulness practice is a really good place to start because it's an introspective practice fundamentally. Um, another way is perhaps to look at some of the things you're doing, in, especially in the physical world, as like um, to reframe perhaps what you're doing with them. Because... Like, for example, you know, you're doing the, the Romwod, which is basically based on yin yoga, mm -hmm. right? So if you look at, like, so whatever it is that's being prescribed to do for the day, what, did it, what was it today? You said, like, pigeon, forward, forward, forward folds fold and, and double pigeon and a, a few of the little bits, uh, archer arms with, uh, with crossed shin and stuff. Okay, cool. So, like, when you're doing that shit, like, one thing, and this is, this is not only a good way to dabble in the esoteric, but also a good way to actually, a much more effective way to probably stretch in the first place, which is notice things about your experience while doing them. Like, be, be introspective while you are doing this practice. So it's kind of like, how does my body feel? Start on that level, right? So I'm in whatever, I'm in a pigeon pose, and it's like, what am I feeling? Where am I feeling it? What is this sensation? So start on the physical level and then maybe look on the emotional level. Like, what is the emotion? Is there an emotion attached to it? First ask that question to yourself and then wait for an answer. So it's kind of like, it's kind of like you're mentally asking the question and then seeing what happens and something might happen. It might be that then you start to experience a certain emotion and then it can be, is that attached to anything? You know, is there anything concrete that that's attached to? You know, what is it like? Are there thoughts coming up, for example? So it's like you're going into that particular activity in a, with a mindful 
or meditative inquisitive. state and, and an inquisitive curious state. It's a very different way to the way that we normally stretch where we, we stare at a timer for 30 seconds and just try and grit and get through it. Yeah. And I think actually it's, it's probably much harder to do it the way you're describing, even though um, it sounds more fun, but when you actually do it, you become very... You, you run up right against all of the resistances you have to being there and you try and at least I have and we, we had a, another podcast about this about distraction and the ways that we run away from the present moment mm. and I'm terrible with that with my phone for example and I realise that it's, a, it's like the adult equivalent of a baby's dummy mm. and when you say sit down go into this stretch and fully feel what's going on it's a very, it can often be a very unpleasant thing and you want to run away and you start making mm. rationalizations and excuses. To the, nar- get... the narrative pulls you through. The narrative that's going on in your mind pulls you through a lot of these these uncomfortable experiences. Mm. Uh, to sing the praises of Romwod again, the, the, the guys that are in there remind you not too much, but if you're in a four minute pigeon, which is quite <laughs> common, like they'll say, this is going to be difficult, but he'll come back in and he'll say, remember to focus on your breathing. Mm. remember that what you're doing here is because it's good for you mm. because that you're going to feel better about this you should feel proud that you've taken time and focus on your breath and mm. stuff like that and when you're doing breath work I think is is a really really good way of doing that mm. I'm, I'm going to guess that that's mm. something that you'd, you'll be advocating a lot of is, is just focusing on breathing focus on breathing is a, is a super good way to just connect to yourself because at the end of the day a lot of esoteric practice is fundamentally about that you connecting to yourself and other people if you've seen Fight Club, where he puts the the lime on his hand, yeah, yeah. and then he and he closes his eyes and he's like, "Okay, I'm gonna go to my happy place." And the and then Brad Pitt, uh, Tyler slaps him and is like, "Don't go to your happy place. You're right here. Yeah, you're yeah, you're right. now enjoy get get into this." You know what's really interesting? So, um, very quick tangent. I came off a bike in Bali, came mm. off a motorbike, and um, ended up grazing on the uh, on the tarmac. See on the top on the top of my yeah, foot. Yeah, I noticed that. Is, um, is I thought it the, was a burn. It's essentially what it is. It's yeah. a second degree friction burn from Balinese Road. Oh, um, fuck. and it's immediately Holy immediately shit. after that, I had to have um, I, they needed cleaning, which meant putting raw alcohol wipes on them. Oh yeah. Um, and for any of the listeners who've ever had raw alcohol placed on a wound, I feel very sorry for you. And for those of you who hasn't, it it raised the ceiling on what I thought my nerves could transmit. Mm-hmm. It turned pain up to 11 if I thought it had previously gone to 8. Mm-hmm. Um, and when that happened, the go to your happy place thing, I can't remember who it was that we were talking about. We talked about someone on the podcast who, when they suffer pain, it might be someone that's an endurance athlete or someone else. Rather than escaping the pain, they go to the very, very epicenter of where mm-hmm. it is and then they try and examine it and open it up mm-hmm. and look at where it is. Mm-hmm. And for the 15 seconds or so because after a little while the nerves just shut off yeah. once you've got the alcohol wipes on so I had about 15 seconds of what I can only describe like the most pain I've ever been in in mm. my life but for that period for those 15 seconds rather than going away I sort of thought mm. right I'm going to and it didn't hurt It the pain wasn't pain the pain was just the sensation of pain and there was no mm. narrative attached to it mm. and I honestly think that had I not have done a bit more mindfulness stuff that that procedure would have hurt Sam Harris talks about this as well, where he says, like, you're sat in meditation for hours, and then suddenly the sensation in your knee, you can no longer tell if it's agony or ecstasy. Yeah. Mm. It's just intensity. Oh, yeah, after, like, a long day of tattooing or something like that. I mean, it's just like... (laughs) Yeah. Yeah, it's like, how do you deal with the pain? It's like, well, just try and go into it and, like, let go as much as possible. Like, physically, I'm trying to relax as as much as possible, and then I'm just trying to be, like... The sensation is not going to change. Absolutely not. And it's like, and I've, for, for whatever, whatever reason I have chosen to do this, it's like, I, oh, I've chosen to get tattooed. And it's like, How well, I'm not going to stop halfway through so far. Um, over the last two years, 12, 12 and a half or 13 days, like full day sessions, it's like 70 hours. Or oh my God. <laughs> yeah. That's crazy. Yeah, you should see it. Wow. That is cool. So all on one side? Yeah, everything on one side. So. We'll have to include a picture because that uh, is pretty lovely. Very impressive. Yeah, we're going to do the entire left side, so like half body suit. That's crazy. So everything up here and awesome. down there, do the palm. Yeah. Man, that's cool. I saw some uh, some cool uh, tattoos at the practice in 
the yoga studio that I went to in in Bali. Oh, some yeah, some yeah, of the yeah. some of the guys there were uh, Australian dudes, New Zealand uh, guys. Really, really cool. Yeah, mega, mega cool. Uh, like some bamboo stuff that they'd had done, I thought it was yeah. Really hand tapping is actually less painful in general than, or hand or hand work is less gen, painful in general than machine, mm. as a, depending on the person who does it. I think that's an interesting question. Uh, coming from a world where a lot of people have tattoos, mm. I think tattoos once upon a time were to mean that there is more to me than than meets the eye. Mm. That this is a symbol, which is an outward expression of something more than the symbol is itself. Yeah, and unfortunately, that has now been taken in the same way that a a, a, a particular handbag would be for a fashion icon. That yeah, it's, it's it's um what is it that you call um spiritual? Oh, spiritual materialism. Sp- spiritual materialism. <laughs> it's using using the um using the outward appearance of something that's very deep yeah. to give the impression that you are mm. whilst actually not yeah. having it. This is something that Daniel Ingram talks about. He's a, he's a, he wrote Mastering the Core Teachings of the Buddha and it's kind of known as like the most hardcore Buddhist Dharma book. Um, and it's, uh, he's very scathing of people at meditation retreats where he says a lot of the time people will sit there and they'll do anything but the practice, and they'll sit and steep in their neuroses, and they'll compare incense and compare gowns and all this stuff. But and then when they're given a chance to talk to the guru for twenty minutes every three days or something, they just use them as a psychotherapist rather than um, ask about or or talk about the actual insight practice that they're doing. And he said that one day he he like stood up and was like, "Is anyone actually come here to meditate, or are you all just like?" Here to say that you weren't. Yeah, <laughs> I think yeah. that's. I think, man. I think it's. People want to try and find meaning in life, don't they? They want to try and find. They want to try and find, um, a sense of belonging, a sense of a sense of purpose, and mm. and, and a, a calling, and it's a much tougher question. To get that from within, mm. than it is to choose it from outside. Yeah, that's my calling. What is it? Because that's something that you've chosen. I'm pretty certain that you kind of don't really get to choose mm. your calling all that much. You don't get to choose what you're interested in. Read an interesting book this week that's it. That, that, that said, um, if you're struggling in life to find a, uh, anything that interests you and you're a little bit directionless, they said, look back to what you did between the ages of about seven and twelve. Yeah, <laughs> and what it is that you did there, what you derived pleasure mm. from, is probably not a million miles away from what you can derive pleasure pleasure from now. And she used the example of this girl, who's one of the best um, uh, color matching artists on the planet. So she creates these wonderful gradients of different colors and works for companies in coming up with matches of different colors. And she said, "Well, what what's your formal training in this?" And she's like, "I don't have any." But when I was a child, I used to play with crayons all the time that was all I wanted to do mm-hmm. and you think you look back and you go well I like to do exercise when I, I played a lot of sport when I was younger that's why you manifest an interest in exercise mm-hmm. oh I used to listen to audiobooks a lot that's why I fucking hammer podcasts and why mm-hmm. I want to start my own and why I love appearing on them mm-hmm. you know it, it's 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 I don't think that you get to choose you don't have as much conscious choice over what it is that you want to do with your life and again that's liberating Mm. It shouldn't. You shouldn't feel constrained by the fact that you didn't get to choose. It's right. Well, fantastic. How can I use what I've been told mm. is my interests in life? How can I maximize that? Because this isn't what everyone else gets to experience. Mm. Not everyone gets to enjoy exercise. Mm. Not everyone gets to be good at matching colors and feeling a sense of purpose from it. I'm mm. not fucking shit. Like, mm. do you know what I mean? I, th- I think that. I think that's. Yeah, like celebrate celebrate the differences and like, but also that's an interesting thing you say. Like, you you don't get to choose because I I often find myself, um, for example, even to myself. But I've been asked the question, oh, you know, what what you know, why are you so interested in uh, in handstands? I'm like, I don't fucking know. Like, I really don't know. Well, this thing about the the, the esoteric thing that you'd said you you had the the temptation the. Uh, proclivity to move towards it when yeah. you were younger yeah definitely but then maybe did pursue it mm. and then you had the the tendency to think about acrobatics and gymnastics yeah, yeah. but again got distracted yeah. 
and over time it's like we we swing on uh, from uh, on a, a spectrum we move from one side to the other until we sometimes mm. sort of get towards the middle of where it is and when we do get towards there that's when you start to feel like you're doing things that are for you and yeah. i think you know it, it shows perfectly that you've come back to a calling that was there all along there's yeah. absolutely no reason that you couldn't have done this at 18 no because the the passion was still there it yeah, yeah. genuinely actually in your own memory was still there yeah not something that was beneath the surface you yeah. knew that it was there yeah, yeah. but i think that you said something earlier on about having um kind of like having the courage of your convictions yes. so to speak yeah to just go for what you want to do unapologetically mm. and i think that that is a big big part of growing up i don't think that everyone has to um not everyone's going to have this self-referential uh, thought process probably not but for the people that do you are going to feel very very unfulfilled until you are prepared to say what is it that i that i enjoy what do mm. i derive pleasure from and I need to I need to chase that down. Yeah. I'd said I'd had a, a a long conversation with Yusuf this week, saying about being unapologetically interested in stuff that's an intellectual pursuit. Mm. Like there's no reason that I should buzz off reading Yuval Noah Harari's Sapiens. No reason at all. But I got in a car and I couldn't wait to tell one of my friends about some stuff. Why no? Like why why is it a big deal that you, you shouldn't get excited about the fact that there was a different human uh, human species still on the planet twelve thousand years ago and there were dwarfs and they lived in Indonesia? You, <laughs> yeah, but it's but, fucking cool, right? But it's, but <laughs> it's, it's not. Cool. But that's because I derive pleasure from it it's and cool. you derive pleasure from it. But you need to have the courage of your convictions because not everyone else does. Mm. And if you try and chase down too much on what other people think that you should be wanting to do, then the hole that is filled with Yuval Noah Harari mm. is very, very hollow. <laughs> uh, fill my hole, Yuval. Um, <laughs> if you're listening, Yuval, <laughs> please fill his hole. We're, we're, da- we're down with that. No, it's, I, 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 I totally agree with that, actually. And it's, uh, I think it's, it's, it's a thing as well to say that, like, yeah, look, like people who are really into shit and talk about it, are interesting like what they have to say is ge- is generally quite interesting if they're really genuinely into it if that passion comes across sure. and it's like I like to listen to people who are really interested in something if they really know a lot about it and have something to say and it's exciting anyone, and anyone like, who's that's passionate. cool yeah. you, know? you, could, you could have someone who has a, a passion in like 3D printing or like you know like plastic tech like yeah. creating different kinds of polycarbs and you think well if you if this is really your pure passion your delivery and your depth of knowledge they're really the only two things that matter. Mm. And you're not th- hearing the words, you're hearing the, 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 the feeling. The story, yeah, for mm. sure. And these people, if they've got the good enough depth of knowledge, they can skim the highlights across the top of any field. Yeah. And you will find it absolutely fascinating. Yeah. There's a, a, a really interesting post about something to do with weightlifting that I saw the other day. And uh, it said that you shouldn't be, you shouldn't apologise for loving weightlifting. A lot of people go through their lives never loving anything and never feeling this level of passion. So post the statuses, do the pictures, do the uploads. Yeah. Because this is, if it's something that you genuinely feel is a passion for yourself, then sort of embrace it. Yeah, and th- this is a definite thing. Like, I had this recently where I was, uh, I, was at a tattoo, I was at a tattoo convention in New York. Right? Again? I was, um, yeah, again. Our, our, our number 65. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> so, um, and I was talking with a, some, some people I made friends with there, and one of the guys, veteran tattoo artist, like he was like old school New York, Mm-hmm. and he's like yeah you should come and apprentice with us and I'm like you guys didn't even know I wanted to tattoo and it's been something I've been thinking about for mm-hmm. years mm-hmm. but I was afraid to because I hadn't been drawing since I was in, in school and I was always like frustrated with drawing and then he started he started telling me this and at some point I realized I was like you know what fuck it I want to try to tattoo mm-hmm. if I have to learn to draw well to do that then mm-hmm. fuck it I'm going to do that drawing's a skill I mean, I've learned to play several instruments. Um, I'd learned as a, a, mostly as a teenager, but then as an adult, I've learned shitloads of stuff. Mm-hmm. You know, I'm sure I can learn how to do this. And, you know, if I really just go for it, like, I'm just going to do it. So I started drawing and then post everything on Instagram so I can get over that fear of trying to show people my work. Yeah. And, like... Because, I mean, I've been performing for years, but last year I was in a show for the... F- I wasn't perform- I haven't been performing for two years, and I was a bit nervous beforehand, and I was like, this is weird, I never get nervous. I fucking love being on stage yeah. or in front of a camera, it's awesome. 
I'm just like, bam, here I am, this is me. Yeah. Except it's not because I'm playing a role, which is an interesting thing. It's nice that you yeah. can hide behind that. I think yeah, it's nice. Um, but I was performing my own material. Uh, and I hadn't been doing that for a while, so I was like, oh, level okay. of... But then I just thought, you know what, fuck it, I'm just going to commit to it and just do it. Because it's like, I love it and I don't know why. I can, like, I can come up with tons of reasons why I love it. It's like, this is interesting and that's fascinating, blah, blah, blah. But really, something inside me is going like, do it. I'm like, well, fuck it, I'm just going to do cool. it then, you know? Are you, are you more nervous posting pictures of your drawings on Instagram or performing in front of a crowd when you did your first performance or when you posted your first picture? Um, I think the first time I really performed material I'd written that was deeply personal, mm-hmm. I was more nervous doing that than I was posting It's incredibly exposing. It's super exposing. I did, I did a piece about... Um, actually, it's a good one, good one for you at this moment because... The piece was called Swipe Swipe. My friend had come up with the idea and it was about online dating apps. Right. And so I wrote about my own experience. Like I drew on my own experience of using Tinder Mm -hmm. um, and just put it all out there. And I was like, I don't really know how this is going to come across. You know, like for me, uh, like I have, I guess, uh, kind of like dark, like I have a dark sense of humor and like, and very, I would say more Scottish than English probably. (laughs) Mm -hmm. Because it's like, I like absurdities and it's like I like to poke fun at stuff especially myself so I was like able to draw with that but it was it was it was pretty cool and then this year I did a a piece in a show on addictions um, and how like addictions have a spectrum and like I've been addicted to things like you know uh, like whatever like yeah nicotine or um, alcohol probably to a to a a low degree um, sex Uh, cannabis, <laughs> you know, like, and I successfully turned some of those ad- addictions into other addictions, <laughs> like yeah. sex into, you know, training <laughs> yeah. or whatever, like, and you can make anything addictive. My, my yeah, flatmate sure. got, Coffee. got withdrawal from chamomile tea and he got really, really like fancy <laughs> with everybody and yeah. like, you know, and he was like, well, why the hell's that tea? I've got it. And it, and it was, it's, and it turned out later we realized that chamomile tea is a mild opiate and he'd managed, he's a very addictive personality and he'd managed to like, like a heat-seeking missile, found the one addictive thing in the cupboard, in the kitchen, and managed to like develop an addiction to it. To yeah. a to a, a volume a volume <laughs> that was the same as a full hit of heroin. Or yeah, something. I was like I was addicted to eating cakes during my during my. <laughs> <laughs> but that, that's I, like, I have to have my fucking cake. That, that, that was a very productive addiction because it got you Incredible. flipping shredded. In yeah. fact, we'll we'll include a picture in the show notes of the oh, podcast yeah. as well because James got super lean. But I think that's a story for another time. Um, should probably wrap things up. Yeah. Um, I think what might be nice or what would be good for me mm. would be how, what are some of the tools, either websites, resources, right. or just bits of advice mm. that you would say, so you've, we've got meditation, we've got, mm. you should probably look at some form of exercise, which I'd like to think anyone who's listening to the Propane po- Podcast is <laughs> doing. Well, there, there, are some, hope so. there, there are some people who, I've, I've had people come up to me at parties being like, oh mate, I love the stuff on Propane, like I've, I've been following all, and I'm like, hang on, I, like, I mean this as, as nicely as possible, but do you lift? Do you even lift? And they're like, no, 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 I don't. And you're like, but I just find it really interesting. And you're like, okay, like I find that a bit odd, but obviously so feel free. tell us tell us <laughs> tell us how you could begin to set up a routine a daily routine what okay. steps you could do maybe um i'd i'd say start with some kind of mindfulness practice or meditation first thing in the morning yeah it's a good time to start actually i like for me okay i'll tell actually i'll tell you how i set up my day yep that's a good a good way so i i at the moment what i do i have little rituals so one is making a cup of tea or coffee depending on what i feel like uh, when i get up um, and then while that's cool, cool down enough to drink, I do uh, the Eight Brocades series of Qigong that I learned from my good friend Karsten, uh, who um, runs a, a bag, he teaches Bagua Zhang and BJJ and stuff in Cologne. Mm-hmm. Uh, we were at a workshop together. And then I, uh, if I have time, then I move a bit. Mm-hmm. So I do a bunch of movement shit. Mobi- it's kind of like a little mobility it's a bit yogury mm-hmm. but it's got a bit of wushu and tai chi and shit thrown in mm-hmm. so I do a little bit of movement practice limbering up feel my body how do I feel and then I go about my day mm-hmm. I like to do some training in the morning mm-hmm. or not in the morning I don't get up in the morning half the time I like to do some training early, after, in, uh, early in my day um, and then eat and then go, th- go about the rest of my day and then 
it depends on like what do you want to work on like I think a good idea if you are completely new to any kind of esoteric practice is start with meditation mm -hmm. and read uh, read something what, what would you suggest people read actually reading you, for you meditation read a lot, but no for, not for meditation but just for like mindfulness and stuff because you've probably like so, you've probably read a lot more stuff that's that you can more easily consolidate than I can because yeah, I read so much I, I've, I've, I've probably done too much of the reading and, and not well, enough of the I practice think, I think, I think speak, speaking from someone who is nowhere near as well read as either of you for me the easiest thing that I read that got me thinking esoterically was uh, The Alchemist by Paolo Coelho oh that's a good one because so it's very symbolic the whole mm. thing's symbolic and there's nothing literal mm. and I like the fact that the, the everything is open to interpretation in that book it's quite short yeah, it's probably like what, like two hundred, no, one hundred and fifty pages, two hundred pages. Not very big at all. Yeah. So it's a. So the Alchemist by Paulo Coelho. Yeah, okay. Paulo Coelho. Paulo Coelho. If you want something on the opposite end of the spectrum, that's more of an an, an instructional kind of uh, grounded book. I just got it for my sister actually. Is um, Hinepola Gorantana mindfulness. No one is going to be able to work out how to spell that. <laughs> so good luck with uh, with googling that. Yeah. Um, Mindfulness in plain English, and I think the PDF is available for free online. That's the best entry level book for, um, and it, it does give it does contextualize it, and then it gives quite a systematic explanation of the method as well. Mm -hmm. um, the one I mentioned earlier, mastering the core teachings of the Buddha, that's really if you're going to go balls. You in. said that's balls deep. Didn't yeah, you? yeah, yeah. Um, yeah. That's it's dick and balls. <laughs> if you want something in between, the Science of Enlightenment by Shinzen Young is beautifully written, and I think. Because it's done as an audiobook, and I think the guy, it sounds like he's just sat there ad-libbing, ad yeah. which is insane because he's so precise and so measured in the way that he speaks that it, that, that in itself is testament to the place that his mind is at. It's a fact having. that it's, it's, it's um, based on principles rather than uh, prescribed uh, doctrine, I think. Oh, and that's what, that's what allows you to be more... Uh, fluid. fluid with with your description. Well, so we've got. I've we've never, got. I've never had that. I'd like to listen to that. But yeah. So so we've got the meditation. I'd say meditation. Yeah. I would say pick a physical practice that you, for some reason, either find tolerable the idea of or seem to be drawn to. Mm -hmm. um, that is a bit more on the esoteric end of things. So so like talking yoga, yeah. Tai Chi. But yoga, when do you not none of this fascist yoga bullshit like <laughs> Ashtanga or something like pick something like Yin yoga that's really gentle for the mm -hmm. body, or Hatha yoga or something like this, and find a good yoga teacher. I know it's hard to judge because you know it's it's about you don't know what's good, you don't know what's it's bad. about as easy to find a good yoga teacher as it is it to find a good personal trainer or gym instructor. Mm -hmm. <laughs> there's a there's a there's a lot around, but they they can be diamonds in the rough. It's really a polite way of putting it. You're much more diplomatic than me. Street, streets of piss and a pile of shit, my dad would say. Thank you very much. Good. No, so, yeah, start, something like that. Um, uh, with, with the mind, with, with the viewpoint of this is like an exploratory process mm -hmm. in my body. Mm -hmm. um, and if you do feel like stepping quite far into the realm of esoterics, take some psychedelics. Um, don't just pick some mushrooms uh, and sit in your bedroom and take three grams of them, think they're not doing anything, and then 20 minutes later take, 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 take another one, three one, grams yeah, of them. Be, I th I just, it's, it's not a good idea. No. Is there a website or anything like that where that yeah. you use as fact-checking for, for helping yeah. with psychedelics? And yes, stuff? Erowid. How do you spell that? E-R-O-W-I-D. Erowid.org, I think it is. It's, it's probably the most comprehensive... Um, uh, resource online about all the different psychedelics like from the point from the preparation of like dosages preparation dosages reports of people's feedback um, I've seen Arrowhead it's like the examine.com of psychedelics. Uh, of drugs yeah oh, actually drugs in general but primarily psychedelics yeah I don't um, know how um, evidence based some of the stuff is but obviously uh, there's, there's, there's a lot of <laughs> lot of experiences and a lot of like yeah. if you take an aggregate of anecdotes you, yeah, well, the, the, performed your own study, haven't you? Yeah, I mean, if you want, like, if you, <laughs> want, if you like want like a bullet point list of like um, a, a bullet point checklist for your for your how do I take psychedelics for the first time, be with someone who you trust, at least one person, preferably someone who's actually done it before. Um, treat it as a ritual. 
not as I'm going to have a party. More like uh, I'm going to go and open up my entire subconscious and um, some stuff might come out of it that I really don't like mm -hmm. and I have to be prepared to go through that. Mm -hmm. Also, you're going to go through it, not try and run away from it. Um, be outside if possible in nice warm weather. Mm -hmm. Like be prepared so that you might be hot or cold or whatever. Um, be somewhere in an environment that is safe for you. Mm -hmm. And take a high dose. Like, don't fuck around. Especially the first time you do it. Be somewhere safe and take a high dose. Because if you're going to have an experience, you might as well do it. Mm -hmm. Like, it's like... <laughs> no, I'm oh, going to take one mushroom. Like, no, no, take the whole handful and mm -hmm. just, just go for it. Because you're going to get probably more out of it. It's, it's scary, but just do it, you know. Um, and then have a day after that that you can kind of recover yourself. At least Did a you day. write a diary if you haven't got to... If you have a way of expressing yourself that is not your internal voice, like whether that's by... Voice notes or... No, yeah, whatever, like to, you know, voice notes or drawing or yeah. talking to somebody or writing. Crystallize the doesn't matter. That's really, really, really helpful. Um, and what else would I suggest? Um, yeah, read... Read stuff, read like religious mythology, read some old spiritual things, because if you try and, I mean, this is Jordan Peterson's shit, like, you know, we've all been on the Jordan Peterson kick recently. So you know, hard. You, I mean, so his, 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 for, for those of you who haven't listened to him, Jordan Peterson's ability to take a story, any story, a lot of them are religious, but some of them aren't, Yeah. and draw from it a logical likeness to real life is frightening. The one that I heard, have you heard his one on Peter Pan? Yeah, it's amazing. Oh my God. Yeah. Mate, listen to just John Peterson. I think it's, um, it's not about addiction, but if you put John Peterson, Peter Pan in, it probably might come up <clears> on YouTube. <throat> um, and you just think, I've never looked, he's done one on Pinocchio as well, which is unbelievable. It's yeah, a bit I've more heard common. Pinocchio and the um, Lion King, which he absolutely dissects. Yeah. As a Jungian. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, 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 yeah. absolutely nails it. But the one on, um, the one on Peter Pan, but he does an awful lot about religious stuff. Yeah. So the re religious mythology and old myths yeah. of, uh, in general, I mean, they're fascinating things to read, especially when you don't try and take them literally because they're fucking stories. That's what I like about uh, about the alchemist from Paulo Coelho. It's mm. so symbolic yeah. that it's open to interpretation. I think mm. a lot of the time, when you have something that is very undirected in its uh, narrative in terms of what it's trying to achieve or what mm. it's trying to tell you is happening, you then colour it with your own experiences and you start to liken it immediately to your life mm. because it doesn't pierce through yeah. too much. You can yeah. drape it over the top. Yeah, and... If you are and if anyone's interested in learning more about, uh, or at least the European base at the moment, learning more about esoteric practice when it comes to like body work and this kind of thing, then we'll post up a few links to people I would actually suggest you can go and look at their workshops and that kind of stuff. Awesome, including myself. Um, so that would be probably the other thing is like go find out from other people. Mm -hmm. Um, go and see like this person's practice is interesting go and learn from them and not as a like ah oh, this is my guru but more as a this is a person who might I, I might be able to learn something from and we can share and, uh, we can share in that and so let's go and see what they have to say um, Fantastic. go and experience that we will link to James's Instagram and uh, mm -hmm. Facebook website. And, and website and, and, shit. Uh, and all sorts Fantastic, James. Thanks so much. For, Thank you, guys. Uh, it's been really chat. fun. Cheers, man. Great. Yeah. Thank you.